This is a financial promotion. If you decide to invest, please remember that investment involves risk. Investments can go up and down in value, so you can get back less than what you put in. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance and may not be repeated. So hello and welcome to the Ravenscroft podcast. Uh, Today we're going to be specifically focusing on uh, Ravenscroft Global Solutions. My name is Samantha Dovey and I'm sat here with the Global Solutions uh, Fund Manager lead on that particular strategy, Shannon Lancaster. Hello. So we just thought that we would have a quick chat, really. Um, It's been um, a year. We launched the Ravenscroft Global Solutions Fund. So uh, happy birthday, Shannon. Happy (laughs) one year anniversary. Happy birthday to us. So we just thought that we'd ask several questions that we've been asked either over email or when we've been talking to clients and put it down um, in, in in today's podcast. So we first launched back in the uh, 31st of March 2022, but I think first and foremost, what we should really maybe nail down is what are the objectives of Ravenscroft Global Solutions? Okay, so for listeners that might not um, be familiar with Ravenscroft Global Solutions, it is an equity fund of funds that invests in themes that we believe will be shaping the world for years to come. So it's not really any departure from what we already do. We've um, at Ravenscroft, we are global and thematic investors, and we've been targeting themes like technology and healthcare and emerging markets for years. So this is kind of a natural extension of that. The underlying portfolio um, allows investors to access a number of sub themes like environmental solutions, basic needs, and resource scarcity, um, just to name a few. And yes, it sits in our Ravenscroft fund range right at the end of that risk spectrum because it is 100% equity. Um, so it's kind of further out there in terms of risk appetite and suitable for investors with a longer time horizon. But I'm right in thinking that the actual objective is long-term capital growth, right? Yes, um, I know I just said the word, um, I said environmental solutions together, which sometimes rings green alarms in people's heads that this may be an ESG or sustainable strategy, um, but it's not. It is run for long-term capital growth, and that is the objective. The themes obviously are aligned with some sustainability and ESG themes, but the fund is not run for impact. It's run um, basically to to make our investors money. And that's really what, what we're here to do. Exactly. So the fund actually launched back on the 31st of March 2022. It was quite a quiet time uh, in terms of markets, not much really going on. That's, of course, unless um, you don't count the war that had um, just started between Russia and re- Ukraine. But over 2022, um, basically both equity and, mar- and bond markets um, were really, really quite volatile. And I just wondered how um, the events that we saw over the, over the last 12 months have really impacted Ravenscroft Global Solutions. Mm-hmm. So um, as you mentioned, the fund launched about two weeks after Russia invaded Ukraine um, and it was quite a volatile year and baptism of fire to say the least. But we're actually quite pleased because um, the way we've constructed the portfolio and selected funds to do certain jobs, they actually did the jobs they were intended uh, intending to do. Um, for example, the more defensive funds that were meant to provide ballast actually did that. So um, that's always reassuring that we are correctly doing our jobs. Um <laughs> So um, in terms of the themes and what the changes last year mean in terms um, of the changes to those, um, there's actually no change. In fact, some of them have been accelerated. Um, a nice example is energy transition. Obviously, with uh, the energy security um, under scrutiny and over the headlines last year with uh, the invasion of Ukraine, um, our energy supply system um, was 
um, kind of the front page of every news uh, paper and every magazine. Um, and we look to our renewables and we obviously haven't really invested enough there to um, make up that capacity that we lost um, with Russia-Ukraine conflict. So I think there was a real spotlight shone on our lack of renewables and also the lack of investment in traditional energy, mm-hmm. which also prompted us to um, invest in traditional energy in, in our growth fund. We, in, um, we, we, we thought long and hard about this, actually, for the Ravenscroft Global Growth Fund in the fact that... Um, When we look at Ravenscroft, the Global Solutions Fund, everything is fairly, fairly um, well defined there in terms of, you know, we're looking for transition funds and and everything else. So we're looking for those companies that are transforming. I think when we talk about the growth fund, um, we we like that very much. That is the future. Um, But we also recognise that in the near to midterm, um, there is definitely energy needs that maybe only traditional um, energy sources can give you. So the way that I was thinking about it when um, we were discussing it to go into the Global Growth Fund was that we have near, mid and long term energy needs. Um, and no matter how you know much we would want to be um, in a carbon, you know, carbon light future earlier rather than later, I think we have to acknowledge that right here, right now, due to the conflict still ongoing between mm-hmm. Russia and Ukraine, that energy needs and scarcity and being able to actually get it where you need it is of paramount importance. And sometimes the only way that you can get that is through that traditional energy mm-hmm. um, exposure. I think, you know, lots of people who might be banging the drum saying you can't you can't do that. Um would maybe soon change their minds um you know if they were sat in their homes with no electric no heating no hot water um so so you know it, it's coming down to to thinking about you know how we're getting from where we are today to where mm-hmm. we need to be in the future mm-hmm. it's um yeah it, it was a it was a very long discussion well thought out rationale Mm -hmm. and i mean the need for traditional energy um is also very important in emerging markets and in fact some of the emerging market funds we own in global solutions have traditional energy exposure um those domestic players are very important because you know we see the headlines about bp transitioning um to renewables and it's putting more money into spending on um renewable infrastructure um it's exactly the same story but you know 10 years ago in if not longer in emerging markets so they need investment in those domestic players um, because not only are emerging markets um, quite vulnerable to the impacts of climate change they actually don't have the money to kind of reverse the effects the way that we do so yes emerging markets has been um, an interesting place to be invested in this past year just on um, energy transition actually Schroeder Energy uh, Transition, which is held in the Growth Fund and in Global Solutions, was one of our top performers last year, which was really pleasing. Um, obviously, as we've discussed, energy security um, came under scrutiny, um, but also the food supply system and food security were um, also important last year. As we all discovered, Ukraine was the breadbasket of Europe and very important in terms of getting our grains across the world. 
Um, we own two funds that access this theme. So we own Schroeder Food and Water and we own Picte Nutrition. And Sam and I were lucky enough to actually go and visit the Picte team in um, uh, Geneva. Yeah. We did We did one day um, in Picte, which was great. And we did one day with Rubico um, and they're both kind of known for their thematic investing and their sustainable investing. So it was really um, eye-opening and really worthwhile. But Picte um, manager meeting, we met with the lead manager on the nutrition strategy um, and it really is it's a really important part of our overall portfolio construction and been really pleased with how it's performed over the past year yeah i mean we've always looked at it as being the more defensive part of the portfolio Mm -hmm. and and i think you know that's that definitely came out when we actually met her she she was incredible in terms of, of you know how she spoke about the fund what what we're looking for what kind of attributes um that she looks for in companies and it it, it was definitely a day well spent with with the entire picto team mm-hmm. so and we met funds that we we don't own but we know that people have looked at such as picto timber um you know and i think the one thing that i would say coming away from the that day with picto is that as a house they're very impressive it's very impressive and the same could be said about rubico um we own the rubico smart materials fund in our growth our balanced and our growth fund and our global solutions fund um, so we've got a good relationship with the fund house and we know Peter who runs the smart materials fund quite well now um, but there's nothing better than actually seeing the fund manager in their natural environment um, and going to kick the tires in their office for once so we like our annual manager meetings and I think we've actually met all of our fund managers now face to face which is obviously great for global solutions and we'll now keep on top of that this year going forward. Yeah so the, the, the process that Ravenscroft as a as a house has in terms of their multi-manager offerings is exactly the same mm-hmm. as it is for Global Solutions. So we've always asked our managers to be open, honest and transparent. And we also ask that we meet them at least once a year face to face. I mean, obviously over COVID and things like that, mm-hmm. that was done over Zoom, but it didn't necessarily put us off our meeting schedule. So now we, you know, the new managers that we have in Global Solutions just slot alongside our Quite meetings nicely. with our, you know, tradi- more traditional mm-hmm. type of fund managers that we have. So um, we've obviously spoken about some things that behaved well last year and some yeah. good performers. Um, on the negative side, it was really a story about uh, small and mid cap. So um, Montanaro, Better World and Polar Healthcare Discovery were both both um, two of our bottom performers um, since launch. And both of them have a lot of exposure to small and mid cap stocks. Um, and we actually received an email from Montanaro um, in the past week and the opening line was something like, and we're now in the 16, 16th month of a bear market for um, small and mid cap. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're feeling the pain um, and the valuations are looking really attractive on their stocks. It's a 5% position um, in the Global Solutions Fund. And we still believe that the themes they invest in obviously have a massive runway for growth and hopefully they'll experience a bit of a rebound. Yeah, I I think they have seen a slight rebound over the last six months or so. So I think they've outperformed that mid-cap index. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it is frustrating, I think, when we met the fund manager last year, I think Mark was frustrated because the fund was being moved by macro and not by micro. And when we say micro, we mean like company specifics, earnings and, you know, things that really matter. And everything was being completely sidewiped by by the war, by inflation. Mm-hmm. And, and no matter 
it didn't really matter about stock picking mm-hmm. to some extent, right? They mm-hmm. they just were kind of like the baby was thrown out with the bathwater yeah. to some extent. The fundamentals just went out the window. Um, but some of the, the holdings they own are just really impressive stocks. Um, I mean, their top posi- position is ANSYS, which mm-hmm. um, Sam has spoken about in the past. And um, Trex, which is composite decking. So um, kind of recyclable reuse of wood. Um, that I is. have that at home. <laughs> nice to know. Yeah. Um, so some really interesting um, stocks in that portfolio and obviously it's held um, in our environmental solutions kind of bucket so it's held alongside other funds that do mm-hmm. different jobs and have um, outperformed when Montanaro sold off. Polar Healthcare Discovery um, had a really tough 2022, um, it's 70% uh, small cap so it really did um, suffer. But pleasingly, it's kind of purred alongside Candrum Oncology, which is um, more of a, it's got more of a large cap, a mega cap tilt. So it's, um, you can expect to see kind of more familiar large cap pharma names in there. Um, whereas the Polar Healthcare Discovery Fund is more um, those smaller businesses that you might not have heard of before that will be, be acquired by those giants. Yeah, I think when we first started looking at it, maybe, you know, over two years ago, we were saying that um, kind of like, Polar discovery is, is this is going to be a really poor joke, is the petri dish of future companies <laughs> for polar healthcare. I told you it was a bad joke, right? Kind of where we see it. So it, it's doing what it's doing. So we, we know the polar team really well and we own a couple of their funds. Um, we own the broader healthcare opportunities fund that's run by Gareth in mm-hmm. the um, growth strategy. Correct. And the healthcare discovery fund kind of sits below that in terms of market cap exposure, but it'll have the similar exposure in terms of healthcare themes um targeting um you know managed patient outcomes or um you know certain themes and trends they can see evolving but just further down the market cap spectrum but it's obviously um been paired along uh side candrum which we said um is was more defensive this is an oncology fund which specializes in um the world's fight against cancer which is the number two cause of death worldwide and obviously um, a horrific disease. So having the ability to invest in the fight against cancer is something that I think is really incredible. We had the most amazing meeting with the fund. I didn't realise there were so many different no. types of cancer the whole works so yeah that, that's a good point when we first met the fund manager that runs candrum oncology we um it, i think it was like a, a gray monday morning and we opened up the slide deck and usually the portfolios are split by sector and geography and this portfolio was split by tumor type and i looked at sam and i was like this is going to be a long week but pleasingly we actually left that meeting we, both of us were really enthusiastic really positive upbeat. i mean really up- upbeat after hearing some of the incredible companies they're investing in that could really change the lives of future generations so it was actually quite exciting and something we're very pleased to be able to be involved with yeah because they're right at that kind of like that initial kind of like treatment stage weeds mm-hmm. of of those that those oncology companies which was absolutely fascinating so so now that we're a year on, um, everything seems to have bedded down within the portfolio. Have, did you make any changes? Are you thinking about making any changes? What you know? What's going on in that in that head of yours? So we're only twelve months in, and we spent a lot of time uh, getting to know the fund managers and doing the due diligence work uh, to get to know the funds and the portfolios and how they would behave. So we've actually not made any changes at this point. Um, I mean, there are um, a handful of funds we've had a look at that look interesting that might be um, worth adding into the portfolio. 
Um, but we're actually, we, we really like the funds that we've got in there. We've only got 16 and we believe we pick kind of the best fund managers in each space. So at the moment, we'd be kind of loath to get rid of any of those. And in terms of new fund additions, it really has to add something different to portfolio construction overall and add something different in terms of performance. Sure. And we've come across lots of funds, um, especially, you know, in really interesting areas like biodiversity that, you know, biodiversity is something we would love to have a direct investment fund specialising in. We have got stocks, underlying stocks that do um, address biodiversity challenges, but there's not really enough stocks we don't think yet to to create a standalone biodiversity fund that would be pure enough. Mm-hmm. It's similar to um, investing in water. If you notice, um, if you look at the fund's portfolio, we have um, water fund exposure, but it's blended with something else. So you've got a food and water fund or a waste and water fund right, because yeah. it's not pure enough in terms of revenue thresholds to actually create a standalone portfolio. I think it's similar with things like biodiversity, but um, obviously over time, as um, fund houses um, launch new products and new funds, we'll obviously hear about them and have a look at them as they come down the pipeline. And we pride ourselves on having a really good relationship with our fund managers. So hopefully they can let us know if they're launching anything really interesting or that's worth us having a look at. Okay, yeah, no, and it's great. And I think there are new funds coming to market, you know, well, not every day, but at least, you know, at least every month. And we are, I think we are quite well known for that thematic investing. So we do get, you know, quite good visibility on what is mm-hmm. coming down down the pipeline, so to say, because if, if you think about the Lazar Global Thematic Inflation Opportunities, they approached us, you know, and it was like, we have this idea you know this is sorry this is for growth and balanced um but it but it's the same kind mm-hmm. of thing and, and we get that now um we've um people have asked us for feedback on their presentations um you know what they're doing so i mean it has been it's been great to to kind of like be at the forefront of this this innovation mm-hmm. so do you think that there's any themes out there that you'd love to invest in you know you, you've but aren't quite there mm-hmm. just yet. You've mentioned biodiversity. Mm-hmm. So biodiversity is probably the, the biggest one and one that we spent a lot of time looking at recently, but also um, artificial intelligence. Yeah. Um, I would love to, that there was a nice way that artificial intelligence um, really you know, would play into our themes, but we're just not really there yet. We haven't seen it come through in, ter- in terms of even underlying companies yet. I mean, we've invested in AI in our... Um, balanced and growth fund yes but we haven't met, had any direct ai exposure in our global solutions fund um and i think that's because we're yet to see how it really will impact any of the themes that we invest in i mean the fund's objective is investing in businesses that are trying to solve some of the world's greatest challenges um, and i'm sure ai has a role to play in that but just the jury's out on what that is yet um some interesting things i've been reading though um are about how artificial intelligence could um, actually improve things like ESG data collection and ESG scores, which Sam and I think are useless and really don't use them to build portfolios at all. Um, you know, it's backward looking, self-reported, unaudited information, which is generally a bad way to start you know, building a portfolio based on those scores. But hopefully AI can maybe help to measure the softer things like the, the S and ESG. It might be it might help to kind of collect and measure information that maybe you know clean it up to some extent, right? Exactly, and clean it up because there's obviously so much noise and so many various ESG scores and leaves and badges. It might be nice if there was, you know, an AI tool that could um, you know, find the quality ones for you in a dream world. But again, we don't use those to build portfolios. But I think over time we'll see our underlying fund managers 
utilizing those tools maybe um, in their in their underlying um, company analysis yeah and is education as difficult to invest in as it was six mm-hmm. 12 months ago fortunately we're yet to find um, a really well-run actively managed education fund and mm-hmm. um, there's a couple of ETFs um, which are passive funds um, and that's generally not how we like to get the exposure to an area and something like education I think um, you'd really need a bottom-up stock picker as well in that area to pick the you know the best education stocks that there are but education for us for us sits within the basic needs um, allocation we believe everyone should have access to it we have a couple of education stocks when we look through the portfolio but not a standalone fund yet yeah maybe it's just one to watch for the future then yes we'll keep our eyes peeled for an education fund yeah or if you know of anything send in your answers on a postcard (laughs) well i think that's pretty much it from us for now i hope you've enjoyed the podcast i hope you found it interesting if you have any further questions or would like any further information then please feel free to contact one of us at ravenscroft Um, all the details are on our website and thank you very very much for listening